Welcome back to another episode of Thinking Critically. I am your host as always, Jonathan Maloney. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about what exactly a logical fallacy is and when it's a good time to reject an argument. So up to this point, we've talked about what exactly is an argument, what is the structure of an argument, and then the last episode we talked about what uh, what what exactly is a good argument. So we're going to take everything that we've talked about so far and then we're going to incorporate it into what we're learning today so that way, way we can differentiate saying, okay, this is a good argument, this is a bad argument, so it's you know we have sufficient grounds to go ahead and reject it and ask for a new one. Okay, let's get started. Okay, so what exactly is a logical fallacy? Well, the definition from philosophy says that it's going to be essentially faulty reasoning or bad reasoning, if you will. And once you learn this, and the reason why I'm communicating this is because you will observe that fallacies are everywhere in society, whether it's coming from a politician or a car salesman, or perhaps even a significant other that's trying to convince you of something. The fallacy is really, really important for you to know. Alrighty, so there's two different types of logical fallacies. The first type is going to be what's known as a formal fallacy. And this particular fallacy or error occurs within the structure of the argument itself. So for, if you recall the vocabulary that we learned from our last episode, for an deductive argument, this is going to render the argument invalid. For an inductive argument, it's going to render the argument weak. So again, for a formal fallacy, the error occurs in the actual structure of the argument itself. Now, the second type of fallacy is what's known as an informal fallacy. And this particular error occurs in the actual premise of the argument. So for a deductive argument, this would render it unsound. And for a inductive argument, it would render it non-cogent. So again, the error is with the premise. You essentially are going to have a flaw in the premise, a fictional premise, etc. with this particular type of fallacy. So now that you're familiar with the two different types of fallacies, let's go ahead and do a few examples to illustrate it a bit further. Okay, so for the first type of example, we're gonna do something around the formal definition of a logical fallacy. So again, that is going to be with the structure of the argument itself. So for the first example, here we go. If it's raining, then the road is wet. The road is wet, therefore it must be raining. Now, on the surface, this argument appears to be perfectly fine. So you have the premises that if it's raining, then the road is wet, and then it's currently, um, that the road is currently wet, so therefore it must be raining, okay? So the premises, again, being that uh, if it's raining, the road is wet, and that currently the road is wet, and the conclusion being, therefore, it must be, uh, it must be raining out. Now, the premises are true, so that's, that's good. That's a good thing, as we talked about in the last episode. However, if you look at the structure of this particular argument, just because the road is wet doesn't necessarily imply that the conclusion that it must be raining is true, right? Uh, because the road could be wet for a number of reasons other than it being rainy outside. Uh, could have been covered with a bunch of snow and the snow melted. A water truck could have could have uh, gotten into an accident and spilled its contents all over the roadway. So there's a number of other reasons here as to why the road could be wet, not just because of the fact that it's raining out. So therefore, this argument 
is committing a fallacy, and the fallacy is of the formal variety because the, the structure is, uh, is invalid. It doesn't, it means that the premises don't automatically imply that the conclusion, uh, the conclusion is guaranteed. Okay, so that's a formal, uh, formal fallacy uh, example. Let's go ahead and do an example for an informal fallacy. Okay, so for the informal fallacy example, here we go. I am going to go shopping at the local grocery market and will most likely unknowingly purchase genetically modified foods. Genetically modified foods are unsafe to eat Therefore, I shouldn't go shopping there anymore because of the fact that I may consume unsafe foods. So the premise being that the grocery store has unlabeled gen genetically modified foods. Uh, so that would be the first premise. And the second premise being also that genetically modified foods are unsafe to eat. And then the conclusion being that I should avoid it because I don't want to purchase foods that are unsafe to eat. Now, the, uh, the structure of this argument is perfectly fine. So if the two premises are true, uh, the conclusion is a reasonable conclusion to reach. However, the second premise that genetically modified foods are unsafe to eat is actually false. So all of the scientific research to date points to genetically modified foods being perfectly safe to consume. And how do we know this? Well, we've done decades of research from coming from the scientific community that have reached this conclusion. It's actually so strong these days that there's what's known as a scientific consensus surrounding genetically modified food safety. So clearly the error is in the premise because you have that faulty premise that genetically modified foods are unsafe to eat, uh, unsafe to eat which is patently false. So this is an example of a informal fallacy. So now that you're familiar with a, what, what a logical fallacy is and the two different types. So you have the informal fallacy on one hand, you have the informal fallacy on the other hand. I just want to emphasize that logical fallacies are not actually factual errors. So a factual error is just going to be having your facts wrong. And it doesn't really become a logical fallacy until you use it in an argument, okay? So for example, with an invalid argument, when you have a faulty premise, so the last example there, when I use the premise that uh, GMO foods or genetically, genetically modified foods are unsafe to eat. So that is an actual factual error based off the best evidence available. But in and of itself, or if I were to take it outside of the argument, it's no longer fallacious. It's just an incorrect fact or it's factually incorrect. However, once I take that and insert it into an argument, that's when it becomes a logical fallacy and when it ends up ultimately rendering the argu argument bad. So again, it's really important. There's a, there's a fine nuance there, but it's really, really important that you understand the nuance or the difference between the two. So again, uh, logical fallacies aren't, this, aren't the same as actual factual errors, okay? So next, we're going to talk about how logical fallacies are not cognitive biases. A cognitive bias, as we have talked about uh, before, particularly when I was going through the laws of critical thinking, because it's important for all critical thinkers to know exactly what a cognitive bias is and the various uh, cognitive biases that are out there, but it's not the same as a logical fallacy. So a cognitive bias, as you may recall, is going to be something that we have in the way that we think. So a mental shortcut that has evolved with us over time that is 
causes us to view the world in a particular way that may lead us to miss out on valuable information. So for example, I think I mentioned the confirmation bias at one point where this is a natural tendency for you to seek out information that agrees with your preconceived uh, views or your already held belief system and then to reject outside information. However, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're then going to uh, take this cognitive bias and form a fallacious argument or incorporate it into a logical fallacy, if you will. However, that being said, a, a cognitive bias can lead you to form an argument. A cognitive bias in and of itself is not a logical fallacy. However, because it is going to cause you to look at the world in a way that is limited to a degree, if you're not aware of it, you may be missing out on information. And this may lead you then to form an argument that is uh, flawed or has a logical fallacy in it. But it doesn't necessarily imply that it will. So it's really important that you understand the difference uh, there as well. A logical fallacy is not a cognitive bias. So again, also a logical fallacy is not the same as a factual error. So now that you're familiar with what a logical fallacy is, you know the two different types of logical fallacies, you are familiar, uh, hopefully, from the last episode of what exactly makes up a good argument, as well as knowing that a logical fallacy isn't the same as a cognitive bias or a factual error. We are at a point now where we can figure out exactly when it's appropriate to reject an argument. And it really boils down to two primary criterion. So the first criterion for rejection is that the argument fails to be good. And if you recall all of the um, scenarios and all of the definitions that we went over from the last episode of what exactly a good argument is, you'll recall that for a deductive argument, this basically means that the argument fails to be sound. And then for a inductive argument, the argument fails to be cogent. So again, it is a argument that is essentially bad, that when you have a bad argument, it is a candidate for rejection. And then the second criterion is if it contains a log logical fallacy. And the logical fallacy is almost implied in the first criterion because of the two different, uh, again, criterion or the two different types of logical fallacies uh, almost implies that whatever argument that you form um, is going to render it bad. So again, you have one, a bad argument, or two, that contains a logical fallacy. So whenever you see any of these things, uh, the argument is a candidate for rejection. So now that you know exactly when to reject an argument, let's go ahead and do an example. Any new gun laws will prevent responsible gun owners from saving people's lives. Therefore, any sort of new legislation that would restrict access to any sort of weapon or any gun of that variety, I should say, um, should not be allowed. So the premise here is going to be that any new law will prevent a gun owner from possibly saving people's lives. And then the conclusion is that we shouldn't allow any sort of new legislation of any variety of any sort of firearm. Now, there's something interesting going on in this argument. So without thinking about it a little bit further, it sounds perfectly reasonable until you look at the, uh, the premise and the connection between the premise and the conclusion. So you're basically arguing here that 
you can't have any laws whatsoever because it may restrict a responsible gun owner from saving lives. So you're kind of you're saying that you take one little small step, therefore it's going to snowball and no sort of life-saving capacity is going to be had from from uh, responsible gun owners. And this is this is a type of fallacy known as a slippery slope fallacy, where you um, you state A and then A would lead to B, and then this leads all the way to Z, or some sort of extreme conclusion. And the extreme conclusion in this, uh, in this case is that responsible gun owners won't be able to save people's lives anymore because of any sort of legislation whatsoever, which isn't true. I mean, it, let's say, for example, you were to ban or restri heavily restrict access to one sort of uh, firearm that doesn't necessarily imply that responsible gun owners will not be able to play some sort of role in deterring threats or saving people's lives. It just doesn't mean that. Uh, so again, this is what's known as a slippery slope fallacy. And as we talked about before with the criterion of what makes a bad argument, if the argument contains a fallacy, it is a candidate, it's rendered bad and a candidate for rejection. So we would go ahead and reject this argument. Last, under no circumstances are you to use the rejection of an argument in its own argument against the conclusion. So what do I mean by that? So let's look at the last example that we did. I identified in, these, uh, in that particular example that the slippery slope fallacy was being committed. So if I were to then formulate an argument such as, you committed the slippery slope fallacy, therefore you're wrong, that is actually a fallacy in and of itself. It's something known as the fallacy fallacy. It's not good enough reason to reject a conclusion. So what you'd really want to do is you'd want to, the whatever person that you're having a conversation with is saying that, hey, you've committed the slippery slope fallacy. Let's go ahead and reorganize your thoughts a little bit so that way the argument um, is good. It has a, has a good form. There's no fallacies. It's sound or cogent. Um, and then reanalyze it again. Uh, hopefully, you're able to reach some sort of amicable conclusion, but we know that that's not always going to be the case because humans can be rather complicated creatures. Uh, but do the best that you can. So again, the rejection of an argument in and of itself is not a good enough reason to reject the conclusion. And you can't use that in an argument of your own. Okay, so that's all that we've got for today, folks. Again, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. You are now even more on your way to becoming a critical thinker. So we've, we've covered what exactly critical thinking is. We've covered the structure of an argument. You know what a good argument is. You, know, you now know the concept of a logical fallacy and when it's appropriate to reject an argument. And even probably most importantly, you know that rejection doesn't automatically mean that the conclusion is wrong. So remember to keep that in mind. So this uh, is going to be the last solo episode for a while. Uh, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be getting some uh, we're going to be getting some interesting folks on here in the future. We're talking about critical thinking, uh, you know, philosophy, science, etc. Anything that will help you and me too, because as you know, I'm a lifelong learner, uh, to, to think better. 
So make sure to go ahead and hit that like button, subscribe, tune in uh, for the next episodes. I'm super excited, super pumped to get some uh, some people on here. Uh, in particular, uh, we're going to have the rest of the intelligence speculation team come on and talk about why exactly it is that they got involved with this particular mission, what they're passionate about, uh, so that way uh, you folks can learn a little bit more about them. So just a reminder that uh, these last three, uh, three episodes or so, they are all based off of articles that I wrote. And you can find all of these articles on the website. So I'll go ahead and include the direct link in the show notes. So make sure to check it out. And remember that together we can help the world think better. Thinking Critically was brought to you by Grips Visual Marketing. They helped me to bring this podcast to life um, when it was just an idea. So that being said, if you're wanting to do a podcast and in need, don't exactly know where to get started, or perhaps you need some video services, make sure to check them out. You can find their information in the show notes.